Welcome to This Week in California Education, brought to you by EdSource Radio. I'm Lewis Friedberg. And I'm John Fensterwald. Welcome, John. Great to be here. Well, John, this week was a landmark of sorts when Mike Kirst, president of California's State Board of Education, announced that he'd be stepping down from the board at the end of the year when Governor Jerry Brown leaves office. We'll talk about the resignation and its implications for California education under the next governor. And we'll also talk about tests that millions of California students are currently taking that once were at the center of a major national controversy around the Common Core. But this year seemed to be happening without any major glitches or opposition. Interesting. And we can't let this podcast go without talking about the governor's race and the race for superintendent of public instruction. Both of those are really heating up. One month ago. But first, John, the State Board of Education met this week for its regular meeting, and the meeting started out with an announcement by current president Mike Kirst. What did Kirst say, and why is it significant? Mike Kirst has been Jerry Brown's advisor on education for 44 years, ever since Jerry Brown's first term in 1975, and that's when he appointed him for the first of four terms on the State Board of Education. Then he came back in 2010 when Jerry Brown returned for his third term, and he's been State Board President since then. So the question was in Mike, should I continue? I could probably get renominated or or not. And I think in the end, he is he announced in his statement, as many of you know, I was appointed to the board in 75. And Jerry Brown and I have enjoyed a unique and rare working relationship. And I, I doubt I could have that duplicated with another governor. And I think that was a factor that led him to decide. So Mike, in his typical way, really didn't elaborate on his statement. And there wasn't any discussion. But in fact, a a month ago, he gave a very long lecture to a conference of researchers in education. And he, he reflected about his 50 years in working in policy and his work with Governor Brown. So here's an excerpt from that speech. Jerry Brown first came into office. I was 35. He was 35. Gray Davis, who was Jerry Brown's executive assistant, he was 35. And Bill Honig was on the state board at 35. And our view was, we get these old guys out of here. We'll solve these problems. We're the smart guys. And then we all come back, and we're a humble bunch of people proceeding with great humility. So Mike talked about the lessons that he'd learned after all these years of you know scars on his back with public policy and coming back for the second and for the third and fourth term. And this is what he said. I found it very interesting. These are the sort of themes that I have learned over these years. Patience. It takes a really long time. I spend a lot of time verbally saying to legislators and the public, this is a 10-year process to even get to somewhere that uh, we're beginning to show that we need it. You need to have patience. And I think all of our policymakers have bought into that and stayed with it. Persistence. You need to just stay with your lines of policy. You can't zigzag all over the place, and you need to persist in making it holistic, integrated, and aligned. I'll demonstrate that. Humility. You can't do that much from the center. It's too complex. It's too large. You can't be too prescriptive. Uh, And in many ways, you do things you don't know where. With this local control accountability plan, we didn't know how it would work or whether it would work. So you proceed with humility. Just to clarify, Mike Kirst will still be on the state board through the end of the year. Absolutely. But it is true that uh, he has been in a rather remarkable position. Mike 
Kirst is was a professor at Stanford for many decades. I, in fact, ordered a, a class of his in the early 90s. He's one of those people who really understands the multidimensional nature of the educational enterprise and the complexities. I mean, you really, really run into people in their respective fields who really seem to get the whole thing. And Mike Kirst is one of those. So it's been kind of remarkable to have somebody of his knowledge and expertise effectively playing such a prominent role in shaping education reform in the state. I mean, there have been some impressive presidents of the state board. I mean, I'm thinking of Reed Hastings, uh, who actually also took a class with Mike Kirst at Stanford several years ago. Ted Mitchell also came out of Stanford and uh, was running the New Schools Venture Fund at the, at the time. All these were impressive people. But I think Mike uh, arguably has made more of a contribution than any of the former presidents to what's happening really on the ground in classrooms in California education. Well, one reason is that he and Jerry Brown worked in sync. When you talk about Ted Mitchell, I mean, they, they were fighting sometimes with state superintendents. This was different because Jerry Brown and directed all policy through Mike, and that was really distinct and which enabled them to build a coalition with education groups, even the CTA. Mike, in talk, talks about a deal that Jerry Brown reached with CTA. I had never heard this, which was to say, we won't do teacher evaluations with test scores if you'll support the local control funding formula, which is, I've never heard him say that. It's quite remarkable. It's part of his coalition he built, enabled them to do the new standards, new tests, the local control funding formula, sweeping changes. And I have to say that my curse has, has was very modest about his relationship with the governor. I mean, he did not wield that. He didn't really talk about it. And I, I dare say most people wouldn't know that they had this very special relationship. Yeah, he was very, I'd say, deferential to the governor. And uh, that's why this speech, uh, which will include a link on this podcast for those who want to listen to it, that's why this speech is quite remarkable because I think he's a little bit more candid than he's been. And he's been sort of not talking about that relationship with the governor. But, but just let's talk about this a little bit, the local control funding formula, because I think that really is Mike's greatest contribution. He did write this paper, by the way. It wasn't just his idea. It was this kind of seminal paper he wrote with Goodwin, who's now on the state Supreme Court, and Alan Burson, who was a former superintendent in San Diego, that laid out this idea of a weighted student formula that basically targeted state funds to school districts based on the number of high-need students, low-income and other students. Mike argued, and, uh, and his co-authors argued, that school districts needed more money to effectively educate those kids. Yeah, that's right. You know, Mike talks about the fact that sometimes you have to wait. There's a delay. He's an academician who wrote that in 2007, and here it was, 2012, 13, Six years later, finally, there was an opportunity to actually, and the governor was enthusiastic, to adopt this change. And I think very few people who are in academia ever get a chance to actually see their work play out in the public. I think Mike would be the first to make the point that it wasn't just him. I mean, the fact that they were able to implement these reforms were a result of a rather unusual kind of coming together of forces. You had a governor a state board of education, and a state superintendent of public instruction who were more or less all from the same political party, at least the majority of people on the board, and working together in an unusually uh, synchronous 
fashion. That is definitely hasn't, in for many years in California, easy to forget. These different offices and office holders were at loggerheads. Right. I think that's the point is that it was distinct, unique, and, it's, and Mike says it's probably not going to happen again for a long time. Yeah, and I will say for any of you, I'm sure many of you out there listening have been to State Board of Education meetings, you've listened to them, you've watched them on the on the California Department of Education website. Uh, Mike uh, was had a very kind of light touch in terms of how he ran the meetings. Uh, they were very inclusive. They had some marathon. In some cases, I think there was one case last year where hundreds of people actually testified. They were there till I think late at night. Uh, he brought a kind of inclusive ethos to the board. And I think a lot of people in the community groups and advocates, I think, did feel listened to perhaps more than they may have in the past. You know, Mike was really a good listener. And I think that that's when he talks about being humble or humility. I think they acknowledge we didn't know which way or how to do all these things. We needed public opinion. And he listened to it. And I think it made a difference. Well, we'll obviously be talking more about the impact of Mike Curse and his legacy, which is really actually Jerry Brown's legacy as well, because obviously they worked hand in hand and Mike Curse's policies or Jerry Brown's policies or vice versa. Right. One of the other reforms that Mike Curse was passionate about was the Common Core Standards in math and English. They were adopted by the state officially in 2010 before Governor Brown took office, but really they were implemented during Governor Brown's term and are still being implemented. And Mike made this a major cause. He would go around the state arguing why these standards were so important. And there was quite a lot of skepticism and opposition, Not certainly not as much as in many other states, but there definitely was right. some. Speaking of which, now it's the spring, and that's the time that Smarter Balance Assessment, which is the test for math and English language arts in the Common Core is administered to grades three through eight and the 11th grade. They're happening now. That's right, John. And this is one of the remarkable things is that we're actually not hearing virtually anything about these tests. Millions of students are now taking these smarter balanced tests, assessments, as they're called, aligned with the Common Core. In many states, there was major opposition. Also in California, pockets of concerns, resistance, I'd say typically in high schools, in affluent communities where parents were concerned that students having to take these tests would take away from students' ability to take the SATs and the advanced placement tests as they prepare to go to college because really there's no consequences for a student if they do well or poorly on these tests. So there was opposition, but really interesting to note is that these tests are happening. It was a massive effort on the part of the state to set up the, the technical side of it so that these tests could be taken online. That's right. Three million students. So how do you explain the fact that relative quiet throughout California right now in testing time? Well, it suggests that these tests are now being accepted by parents, students, and uh, educators and that uh, they're happening without major glitches. We'll be looking at this more closely. Of course, the big issue is what the results will be. This is actually the fourth year now that the fully operational test will be administered. Last year, the results were kind of flat. Hopefully, the, we'll see some kind of uh, improvement in those yeah, scores. Yeah, they were flat last year. You know, Keep in mind that after three years, only about half of the students were at grade level standard in English language arts, and only about three out of eight students in California in, in math. And of course, the differences in student groups is quite enormous. 
only about 20% of African-American students are at grade level and about a quarter of Hispanic students are compared with maybe three quarters around of Asian students. So there's a huge achievement gap and that's where the attention should be focused. But it's also true that the fact that these tests, the smarter balance tests, are being taken, administered by millions of students does reflect the fact that the Common Core is now part of the system here in California and actually in most other states. We've looked at opposition in many states. There's virtually no opposition to the Common Core. Of course, in many places, they've renamed it. They've adapted these standards as their own state standards. But this is a significant shift and potentially significant in terms of student outcomes going forward. Right. Well, as, as Kirsch said, it's going to take a long time to implement standards and to show progress, and it could be as, as much as a decade. So we're, you know, in year four. We can't wrap things up here without talking about the governor's race and the race for superintendent for public instruction. Less than a month to go by the time this podcast airs. And what's very interesting in the race for superintendent for public instruction between Marshall Tuck and Tony Thurmond, we don't really know who's ahead or who's behind. And it's a lot of speculation. More money is pouring into both of their races. Marshall Tuck is getting a lot of support from the pro-charter side. Thurmond hasn't gotten as much money, particularly on the independent expenditure committee side, which are these committees that are supposed to be independent of the campaign. He hasn't got as much. I think uh, when we last looked, it was about $4 million for Tuck and about close to $2 million for Tony Thurmond. But definitely, we are going to be seeing lots of commercials. You'll be getting flyers in the mail. Really, things will be decided, or the outcome will be decided in the next few weeks. Or it may not, of course, because given the primary system, it's the top two candidates who will go on. So it could be that all these millions of dollars are being stockpiled for the fall. I should clarify that. I think now the feeling is that, yes, it will go to the November election for a runoff between Thurman and Tuck. Right. And, and as you've said before, all this money is by pro and anti-charter groups. And uh, I think that it, it appears to be a referendum on that issue, although when you talk to the candidates, they're closer in positions than the ads would indicate. Pro and charter is really shorthand because the positions on both sides are a lot more nuanced than that. The pro-charters aren't necessarily only for charters versus public schools, and the anti-charters are not against all charters. So, Thank you for correcting that shorthand, yes. Okay. Well, that does wrap it up for this week in California education. I'm Lewis Friedberg. And I'm John Fensterwald. Thanks to all of you out there for listening. Thanks to our sponsor, the S.D. Bechtel Jr. Foundation. See you next week.